electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. Market Moving Insight and Analysis. Join Jim Cramer, David Faber, and me, Carl Quintanilla, on the opening bell hour of CNBC Squawk on the Street. Good Monday morning. Welcome to Squawk on the Street. I'm Carl Quintanilla with Jim Cramer and David Faber. Final day of November. Uh, Future slightly weaker as we get another Monday of positive vaccine data. Moderna, 94.1% efficacy. We've got IPO roadshows, M&A, of course, a jobs number to fill out the week as well. Our roadmap is going to begin with vaccine optimism. Moderna is set to apply for emergency use of its COVID-19 vaccine today. Pfizer's on track to gain UK approval within days. And we have a very large deal in data. S&P Global is buying IHS Market. The deal is worth over $44 billion in stock. It combines two of the largest providers of data to Wall Street. And it is, so far at least, 2020's largest dollar-wise deal. Plus, you've seen it on Squawk Box. GM and Nicola announced a smaller deal. It's focused on supplying fuel cell systems doesn't involve equity, and we'll get to a lot more of it as to why those shares, Carl, are down so sharply. Yeah, we know Jim's all over that. By the way, Jim, it's great to have you back. There's a lot to catch up on uh, that we've missed talking with you about over the last few days. But as for Moderna, uh, another Monday here, Jim, uh, with 100 percent on severe and more discussion that come spring, we might have nearly 10 of these things to choose from. Well, this is a rather remarkable moment because it is true. This is warp speed and warp speed is run by the Army. Uh, and it's going to be run by it's going to go to long term care facilities at the same time it's going to go to healthcare workers. But I think the good news here, it's going to go to a lot of people that no one thought they could get to very early. Uh, you shotgun the, the entire level when you include Moderna and don't even talk about J&J, Moderna and Pfizer. I think that everybody in this country will have the opportunity to be vaccinated by May. I think a lot of people who are in a high-risk category will be able to get uh, vaccinated January, February, March. David, uh, I got to tell you, I think that warp speed is being run in a non-political way, uh, in a way we can be proud of, in a way that will make it so that we uh, are uh, headed toward herd immunity, even if a lot of people decide to opt out. Really? God, you're being very positive. I'm happy to hear it. I hope you're right. Uh, May would be a wonderful thing, being that we would have then potentially normalization over the summer for so many and people returning to work in a a full way, Jim, again, if you're right. Uh, What about the transition to the Biden administration? If you know, again, there they're finally getting, I think, full briefings and there is real communication going on. Uh, So you feel more confident that that handoff in terms of warp speed and the distribution uh, of the vaccine is not going to be impeded by the change in administration and the Mm -hmm. lack of communication that has taken place here before? I think the military has never been political about this. And this is militarily led? Yes. It is. Absolutely. And what it's going to do is it's going to go uh, to CVS. It's going to go to Walgreens. It's going to go to Walmart, plus a lot of grocery stores. Uh, I think it's, you'll be able to, let's say CVS. Let's talk CVS. You'll be able to go to CVS's website, get an appointment, and you'll be able to get it. Particularly, uh, we have to find out tomorrow or Wednesday about what the order is. We don't know what the order is beyond uh, nursing, home, long-term care, and then health care workers. They will be able to get it on site. 
and then it's going to be able to go to the drugstores, the supermarkets. We are going to wait to see what the government says is going to be the reality of uh, what are you going to have people who are 65 north? Are we going to have 75 north? Are we going to have people with pre-existing? But, geez, I couldn't believe how exciting this is going to be. Uh, I do hope that people take it. I think that you're going to feel like if you didn't take it, uh, you may feel left out in the end because this is going to be very easy to get. It's going to be two shots. Uh, you'll go to your CVS, you'll go for one, and then three weeks later, you'll go for another. If you don't get the second one, then it doesn't work. You'll be able to get a, a card, Carl, that shows you that you got it. It's going to go to your cell phone, too. And I think you'll be able to say, I am inoculated. And it's the way to be able to get back to where we were. Yeah. Jim, your timeline is a little more aggressive than, say, Goldman's, uh, which sees about half of the population uh, being vaccinated by the end of Q2. Also, interestingly, Jim, over the weekend, they looked at a downside scenario in which AZN and J&J do not succeed, uh, largely on safety events, uh, which is a much more bigger deal for the EU than, say, the U.S. You know, it's entirely possible they could be wrong, and I'm right. Maybe they didn't do as much work as I have. Well, is there really any alternative, Jim? <laughs> well, I don't know. When you get up as early as I did and you're back from vacation, you tend to be able to call in your people. David, I am telling you, that, but will you stop smiling and get to... No, you can smile all you want because I'm giving you good news. By the way, I, I know I can't do anything right by you. That's totally I mean, untrue. Come on. I love you. If I'm frowning, you, why are you frowning? If I'm don't... smiling, why are you smiling? Okay. It's like with my kids. Am I a child of yours? No, it's the other way around. It's am like, I, the, I, can't am do I your right dog? There. I love my dog. Okay, and he's the good. one person who's always mean, person. See I, that? He's the one thing that's always happened to I see me. I do not mean to even question your smile. I'm thrilled for it even more. Go I'm ahead, finish your point. Idea. I'm thrilled for the idea that they have an ability. Now, it is going to go. There's a state funnel. The states may decide uh, exactly which ones, who are going to be get it next. But there will be a pecking order. And the reason why I'm a little more bullish than Goldman is because I think Pfizer is under-promising and will over-deliver. I think Pfizer's good. I think that this whole notion of how cold it has to be, you're going to have dry ice five days, dry ice five days, dry ice five days, and and, and you're going to be able to get it. And I think that the only question about whether you'll get it is is the jam-up. How many people are going to want to get it? I don't think it's going to be uh, our previous guest was talking about the the people who don't wear masks don't want to get it. You, you know, I think it's entirely possible that you're going to get it because uh, the, the pressure under the Biden administration is going to be pretty severe. Uh, maybe it's just jawboning. David, you mentioned what will what will happen. I just think it's more likely uh, that you'll have a president who uh, you, you, who knows that you can't get two Regenerons and be better. <laughs> I would assume that there will be great encouragement, Carl, as we all do, of taking the vaccine. It will continue to be a question as to how many people resist that. And it's obviously going to be an important part of the story. You'll take it, of course. Yeah, of course. Two, regen- two Regenerons, Jim. That, that will never get old. Uh, let's bring in Meg Terrell this morning, talk about her conversation with Stefan Bansell earlier today on Squawk Meg and some of the additional questions which we don't quite have answers to yet. Yeah, Carl, that's right. So we got the final look at Moderna's phase three trial for its COVID-19 vaccine, where they had more cases uh, of the disease to analyze the efficacy. So that final efficacy coming in at 94.1%. They also looked at 30 cases of severe disease in the trial. All of those were in the placebo group, so suggesting a 100% efficacy against severe disease. They saw no new safety concerns, uh, appeared to be well tolerated. And Moderna says it's going to file with the FDA and in Europe today for emergency use 
authorization here in the U.S. Uh, and that advisory committee meeting is expected December 17th. So we talked with Stefan Bunsell, the CEO of Moderna, this morning about what comes next. Here's what he said. It is highly possible that between the 17th and Christmas, you know, uh, the product is approved. If you look at FDA, usually uh, in terms of EUA, it might be a few days after the advisory committee. So it means that we'll be able first to ship products uh, as soon as we get approval. We have worked very closely with Operation Valve Speed. And as we said, you know, we should have uh, up to 20 million doses by the end of the year. So, guys, with this scheduled for December 17th, uh, we're showing you there a different full screen than we intended to. But uh, Moderna's is December 17th. Pfizer's is December 10th. So these are really stacking up to be one after another. Uh, the FDA reviewing these vaccines and then how quickly they green light these is up to the FDA. We are hearing from administration officials you know, that this could be happening within a day or two after this FDA meeting. But the FDA will be the one to decide when to hit the green light for these vaccines. Guys. Hey, Meg, uh, reports over the weekend that United Airlines is already shipping some charter flights of Pfizer's vaccine in preparation for approval. Are you seeing anything to discount the idea that we could see vaccinations within 24 hours of approval? Uh, no, I mean, we, we don't know when the approval is going to come, but the plan, as as we are hearing right now, is for them to be able to get these vaccines out. And, and it will be this incredibly orchestrated effort where Pfizer is shipping the vaccines and, as you were just talking about, has to keep them extremely cold. And at the same time, McKesson, which is contracted with Operation Warp Speed, they're going to be shipping the syringes and the alcohol swabs, all the things you need to go along with the vaccines. All of that will be getting coordinated in every state. You're going to see 6 million doses shipped in that first shipment. And the prioritization is going to start happening, likely healthcare workers. Uh, and they're going to figure out who's going to get vaccinated first. And we're going to start to see this happen. Um, but it's very complicated and will be an amazing thing to watch over the next few weeks, most likely. Meg, thanks for that. Another big Monday on your beat. Our Meg Terrell having talked to Moderna earlier today. Jim, uh, what she just said about the logistics kind of does feed your optimistic case. Absolutely. And I think that this long term care uh, health care uh, decision, again, this is pecking order, is really fantastic. I mean, these healthcare workers, I mean, we're now we, look, we read these stories about healthcare workers who have it or are still working. We know that long term care is responsible for a gigantic number of uh, of deaths. So I think the government is being very prudent. I, I'm, I've been in touch with McKesson. I think that they are completely ready. I know that UPS has uh, it has freezer farms. No one seems to be nearly as worried about the Pfizer uh, temperature because they're ready. David, they're ready. OK, I'm excited to hear that they're ready. I believe that that will hopefully be the case. And I hope teachers get it quickly, too. That, that's also one. Uh, teachers before students. Yeah. What I think is amazing is that this is a non-political. This is McKesson. It's government. McKesson. Some state intervention, but, but there'll be a pecking order will be announced uh, later this week. And then it's to the drugstores and supermarkets. In thousands of places, you'll be able to get it. Uh, and I think that that's why it's going to be so accessible, Carl, that people are going to get it. Yeah. Let's hope so, guys. Uh, it's going to be big. Uh, when we come back, a uh, lot to get to this morning. Obviously, S&P Global and IHS Market, biggest M&A deal of the year. We'll get Jim's take on CRM work and all the news regarding Nikola GM. Nikola's shares down 21% pre-market. Don't go away. What's on the horizon for financial markets? 
At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration, our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager. Welcome back. The year ending with a lot of M&A activity. Of course, we got a very large deal announcement this morning from S&P buying IHS. Want to get to that in a moment. But uh, guys also wanted to offer a bit more on a story that was reported last week. We haven't gotten Jim's take on it as well, of course, involving a company he knows so well. And that's these reports of Salesforce uh, being close to potentially buying Slack. I, I have a couple of things to add here. Uh, for people based on, you know, obviously on some recent reporting. Uh, you know, we, again, it was the journal broke it last week. We didn't really get a sense on price, and I can give you a little more clarity there. First of all, perhaps even surprisingly, going to be a premium above the current stock price. Now, how much? Well, that's where it gets a little more difficult to say. But let's say not to a $30 billion value for, uh, for Slack, but perhaps not that far from it. So it does appear that this is going to be have been a very significant premium above, of course, the unaffected stock price, as we like to call it. The composition of the deal, roughly, I'm told, half cash, half stock. It may be weighted a bit more towards the cash side, but I don't know specifically exactly where it falls out percentage-wise. So let's just say roughly. And, Jim, we're going to get a deal announcement after the close tomorrow, would appear. Again, this is according to a number of sources familiar with the situation. So it does appear Salesforce is poised to buy Slack in a very high premium deal, um, way through the comp multiples, it would seem at this point, Jim. Uh, and I'm told, by the way, as well, that Slack did not talk to any other potential buyers. They have engaged fully with Mr. Benioff. You seem a little, uh, your faces, you seem upset. Well, uh, look, by I this. just, I didn't want to hear that kind of price, uh, in part because my child trusts on Salesforce, in part because I think that uh, this is one that's not as easily integrated. Uh, I know that Mark uh, believes point blank that uh, Microsoft no longer, uh, let's say, and it's an axis versus the allies, which are Mark, and just use that as a term briefly. You, you just kind of funny, maybe not funny. Here's the problem with Slack. Yeah, tell uh, me. It has been, without a doubt, hurt by the bundling that Microsoft has done. I right. think that you agree with me yes. that the antitrust case is strong, uh, and this is a fantastic opportunity for Salesforce to break up what I think is just one of these bundlings that I, I talked to Stuart Butterfield about this. I think that Stuart's right. Yeah, but they're going to take it straight to Microsoft here. I mean, clearly going to war with Microsoft, yeah, a company that was not that far from buying Salesforce a number of years ago. I mean, they were getting really close. I remember my reporting at the time. Didn't obviously happen. And a good thing for shareholders, it would seem, given all the value that's been created since. There's but truth. what's wrong with taking it to Microsoft here and really going after it with this? With this product. Well, because I'm worried about the synergistic notion in the same way that I was worried about the synergistic notion of uh, uh, of Twitter. Here, at least you might be off for a soup to nuts. There isn't anybody I know, David. I'm going to put it to you immediately to say that Slack's product is better than Microsoft's. Right. I think that almost every I've used the product. I think it's fantastic. You don't think CRM would improve the product? Oh, they could. I mean, they can easily integrate it to their. Uh, into much of their configurations. But I would have preferred something that is more, uh, you can't buy Snowflake. You can't. Right. But something that would make it so it's more He's data paid analytic. huge multiples in the past. Tableau, I know, for example, and it worked out Tableau, quite well. Brilliant. Yeah. Tableau, brilliant. 
Uh, MuleSoft, fantastic. Not afraid to pay up. Recognizes that sometimes you have to. But, uh, David, this is a gigantic deal. It's interesting that Salesforce stock was initially up, and I think that's because people came in, came in this morning and didn't see a deal. Yes, right. I mean, look, I think it's a lot of money, David. Yeah. And I, I think no. that, that, you know, when you go through what Butterfield's saying, you're really going to have to bust up something that Microsoft owns. Microsoft's been incredibly effective at this to the point where Butterfield has made a case that they're strangled, even though they have a superior product. And that is a good antitrust case. When you have superior product and because of bungling, you look like you're going to lose. I say you just knock Salesforce down, pig, David. Um, well, Jim, uh, there's another deal to get to that has been announced well, yeah, this you morning. You just knock Salesforce down. Pig. I see that. It's down a little bit, not a lot. And Slack is up because, again, perhaps some were surprised given the enormous move in the stock price after the initial reports of the potential deal. Uh, Slack stock moved up dramatically. And so the idea that it would even be a premium above $40, which we're telling you it is, uh, is perhaps a surprise. Now, the stock at 44, of course, based on this reporting. Let's yeah, get and, to. And by the way, just one, one, yeah. one last thing on yeah. this. Uh, people were floating that Google would be involved. I mean, come on, no there's one board member. Yeah. Uh, with Jiki. Yeah. Uh, the board member yeah, Salesforce. Also, uh, Google, so that's just idiocy. Google is still tied up trying to get Fitbit done. I mean, antitrust-wise, Google is really, really uh, in a difficult position. By the way, Google comes up sometimes in these huge data deals, which does take us to this. Again, how are they going to get a deal done of any size uh, if they're them? But if you're S&P, this is one of those names, Jim. And you, I remember when we were uh, sometime back at the, at the New York Stock Exchange, you know, you'd wander across it. I'd be like, wait a second. That's a $70 billion market value. Right. By the way, now 82, bigger than Goldman Sachs is S&P's market value. Why? Well, data and also the willingness of the market to pay a huge multiple for these recurring revenue streams that this data business, obviously they have the ratings business, uh, affords them. And so here's a deal this morning, enormous, roughly $40 billion. It's all stock. 0.2838, of course, is the exchange ratio. It is expected to be accretive to earnings by the second full year. By the way, earnings per share, they seem to care about it, but the people who value this company are doing it on an EBITDA multiple and even maybe a free cash flow multiple. They are talking Talking about this company generating over five billion in free cash flow by 2023, and they're going to uh, return over uh, roughly 85 percent of that uh, to shareholders of that five billion that they see in terms of free cash flow. Um, give you a quick uh, TikTok, quick sort of timeline. Uh, S&P approached them in September, I'm told, and. Uh, Lance Uglu was like, yeah, let's go. Uh, you're the potential partner that I've thought about in the past. And so they started to engage. They started at what was sort of a, a multiple based on the market, respective market values for the two companies. Let's call it around 0.21, somewhere in there. And they made it up to 0.2838. That's where you end up. But, of course, they're really trying to figure out as well. Who owns how much of the combined company? And so they end up there as well in terms of 67.75% of the new company being owned by S&P shareholders and 32.25 by IHS. Um, Again, Jim, it is the multiple here that the market is willing to pay. And the numbers they're talking about, even revenue, they're talking revenue synergies. $680 $680 million in EBITDA. That's by five years after close, fully realizing those synergies. But that's huge. You throw the multiple that the company gets right now on a $680 million EBITDA appreciation, and you're, you know, you're adding $15 billion in market value. So let's keep an eye on shares of S&P, of course, which is the full currency here. Well, I do like the fact that it reduces S&P's ratings business from 47%, which a lot of people feel is pretty static business, uh, to 30%. Uh, Doug Peterson has done a series of acquisitions. He bought a company from me. Uh, with, yeah. you know, he bought a company from me. Uh, uh, I did good. He did good. 
Right. So, so, I mean, one of the things I know about Doug is he's incredibly even-handed. You know what? I'm so glad that he's on um, our show tonight. He's on coming, money. On, coming on the Big Mad Money program. Yeah. yeah, not, you know. Not here, but there. Nice. Well. And that's great. Uh, by the way, <laughs> uh, antitrust, you know, we we're just talking about it. There's no real overlaps here. So while uh, these, these reviews do take their time, they're talking about second half of next year, but uh, there doesn't appear to be any overlaps in their business. None. Jim, who knew data was such an incredibly lucrative business? I mean, to it's, watch S&P, I, I still think of it as having been a part, of, small part of McGraw-Hill. Right. Like Business Week. Oh, yeah, Business Week and S&P. Well, Doug, Meanwhile, one's $80 billion on its way to $120 billion, and the other is, I don't even know. Not, it's owned by, I don't even know. Who's well, it's owned look, by I mean, Bloomberg, right? Doug has made it uh, a point to become the biggest data company. He's going to get oil data, which we know uh, IHS is great oil data. Uh, there's good uh, transportation data, financial services data. Market is a terrific international company. Carfax will be interesting. Right. They intend to keep all of these. Uh, Doug made it uh, a promise to everybody he's going to return a huge amount of cash. He is doing that. He's turned, returned 85% of free cash flow uh, as ongoing capital return policy. What I like best about this deal, David, yeah. is that now S&P will be known as the data company. David, we know what happens with these data companies. Uh, it, it, they're loved. They're, they're loved. They're loved beyond all recognition because yes. they have no risk. No, and they have that recurring revenue stream that uh, the market just loves to pay a huge multiple for. It's just and such so you're a, talking, I mean, they're, pay, they're paying 20, what was the number multiple? Is 28 times EBITDA? I mean, these like, multiples are crazy. But you know what? If you're getting <laughs> it in the market, why not pay it? Yeah, well, look, the only other company that uh, I think that is, is in that uh, cohort is MSCI. Uh, right. Henry Fernandez, another guy that yep. has put together a company. Jeez. These are all light. I mean, look, we have some downgrades. We, had, we have a downgrade of J.P. Morgan, right? Yeah. Uh, Betsy Grassing, she downgrades J.P. Morgan. I'm thinking, why? Well, they have risk. If people are willing to overpay for companies that have no risk, that are sticky. I love AIHS. And by the way, that's a, a, a Bill Ford company, General Atlantic. Ah, all right. Well, yeah. Carl, it is, as we said earlier, the largest deal of the year, roughly 40 billion, let's call it overall in stock uh, and more to come. More to come. Yeah. On the call right now, uh, CEO says we don't believe there are any regulatory issues that can't be resolved. Uh, so we'll listen for that tonight with Jim. We'll get to that downgrade that Jim mentions as well out of Morgan Stanley of not just Goldman and JPM, but Bank of America as well. The upgrade of Wells over there. Futures uh, still mixed. We're back in a minute. Let's get straight to the point. You want to grow your portfolio to fight rising costs of inflation or pay off your debt or anything standing in the way of you and financial freedom, right? Yahoo Finance, our sponsor today, can help. For more than 25 years, Yahoo Finance has been helping great investors like you. Whether you're a seasoned investor or just looking for tips, Yahoo Finance makes it super easy by putting all the tools and data you need in one spot. Yahoo Finance takes a holistic look at the financial news cycle, including breaking news, original editorial perspectives, analyst ratings, independent research, customizable charts, and more. You can securely link your brokerage accounts for a unified view of your wealth, including 401k and other investments. That's how Yahoo Finance gives you insights and helps you take a look at your wealth in its entirety. That big picture perspective is what great investors need. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit the brand behind every great investor. YahooFinance.com, the number one financial destination. YahooFinance.com. That's YahooFinance.com. All right, let's get to a mad dash as we count you down to the opening bell. About three minutes till we get to that. Apple. You know, David, it's only a matter of time before people started saying, yeah, maybe there's something here. 
uh, meaning that Apple stock has done nothing for a while. So Loop Capital goes hold to buy. Uh, US, uh, this is 5G, bigger than we think. And by the way, Morgan Stanley says iPhone is doing incredibly well. Loop says the iPhone buildup is good. So you have two firms that are saying good things with the idea, I believe, that they want you in ahead of the 5G. Uh, This is one of those moments where I think people are not focused at all on the revenue stream and focused entirely on the handset. They're not focused at all on the Mac and just entirely focused on what is the number of of 5G minis they're going to sell. I don't know, David. And to me, it feels like this is a um, one of those things that if you have a Apple Christmas, then it does well. Uh, Otherwise, I think what really matters is the revenue stream. The revenue stream keeps growing. Is this about Mnuchin? When you talk about the revenue stream, what do you mean, Jim? They're talking really about U.S., not China. But I think there's a subtext here. A subtext meaning that we're not going to wake up each morning and find that another Chinese company has been disenfranchised like we did today. Uh, regardless of whether you like it or not, the idea that you wake up and you're watching Unishu and she's talking about some company that's important that we have just decided to cut them off. I, like We're doing it and we're not getting anything from it. I don't know, David. I mean, I think the strategy is to just get back. If you ask what the ultimate strategy is, is to go back to the, to the pre-Nixon years. And I don't think that Biden wants to do that. I think he wants to work with our allies to cordon them off. You may think that doesn't work. You may like the China policy. But if you're in the marketplace, if you're in stocks, you're just tired of the tweets and tired of the announcements that are done at random in an arbitrary and capricious way, which makes it very difficult to buy stocks or sell them. I know that's a very narrow approach. What we're in is a cold war with them. Uh, And it is a cold war. But I do think that we, we fire a lot of Cold War statements and don't get anything from them. I don't know. I hear you. I do hear you? you? Yeah. I mean, what do we get? More Teslas? I mean, it's unclear. No, it's, it's unclear. not clear. Yeah. And to your point, uh, I mean, you know, frankly, it's the one area where the difference between the incoming administration and the outgoing is probably not that great. No, it's not. But I think uh, that the, the so tweets, many others. The president, the new president-elect doesn't tweet. No, he does not. He does not. Carl, over to you. All right, guys, there's the opening bell. I'll get a look at that. Uh, talk a bit about this final day of November and what kind of reallocation of forces may be in effect on uh, positioning and how that may affect the so-called Santa Claus rally in the month to come. Got some breaking news, though. And for that, we'll turn to Steve Leisman. Hey, Steve. Carl, thanks very much. In the complicated and troubling story of LIBOR, the Federal Reserve now this morning advising banks to stop writing LIBOR contracts as soon as practicable. LIBOR contracts, it says, that are written after 12-31-2021 will represent a safety and soundness risk, and the Federal Reserve will supervise banks accordingly. This comes after the LIBOR governing body today said it's pursuing an end to LIBOR publication by June 30th, 2023. David, I think this probably raises some memories that you have going back to 2007, 2008, when LIBOR became a scandal, uh, breaking open in 2012. This thing's going to hang around until 2023, it appears right now. The idea being that the cure for the problem may be worse. They're going to let these contracts, about $200 trillion of contracts written under LIBOR, they're hoping that most of these legacy contracts roll off. David? Right. So the London interbank offered rate to the scandal you referred to, which, God, it's funny, over 12 years ago. But they were basically manipulating it uh, at that time. And to your point, there's so much that trades at a spread 
uh, of uh, over LIBOR. LIBOR. That's right. Yeah. And uh, they just can't get rid of it. They, they don't like it. There's another offer rate that's being uh, promoted and is going to be where they're going to transition to. But they are feeling that if they were to change all these contracts, they said some contracts don't have language that allow change. It would blow open and probably the cure in this case would be worse than the disease, so to speak. Uh, so they're going to let this hang around for a while. And they're proposing that it end in 2023. Carl. Steve, thanks. We'll talk to you in a bit. Uh, Steve Leisman. Uh, Jim, um, it is the final day of the month. There is some discussion about uh, reallocation and uh, more broadly whether or not the vaccine news over the past few weeks has stolen uh, some of that year-end rally we typically see in December. No, I, I'm, not, uh, I'm not banking on that. I think that what's going to happen is we are, we're going to have a stay-at-home holiday season, which benefits a couple of very large stocks. Uh, the research all this morning is about Walmart. We're going to hear about Cyber Monday. That's going to be great for Amazon. It's not great for the 50 percent of the half the, the mall, but half the mall is not important to us. So I think the bigger cap stocks, the Dow stocks, are going to do quite well. And I think that that's uh, a reason for a continued rally, uh, along with a lot of tech that I think is doing very well. Uh, the drug stocks are really interesting. I don't see them going up unless J&J announces some sort of surprise announcement. But remember, I do think that, I mean, that J&J moves things up. I do think that Pfizer is going to surprise to the upside. That's going to create and maybe a follow through to, believe it or not, David, the most bedraggled of Dow stocks, Walgreens. You think Walgreens will benefit from the distribution of the vaccine? Absolutely. Unless yeah. they completely screw it up. Well, let's hope they don't. No, but we there's don't not been that. much for them to benefit by. Of course, they decided not to partake in this uh, going after a health insurer or broadening their business in the way that obviously CVS has chosen to. I think CBS has got the leg up. My charitable trust on CBS. Uh, I will say that both these stocks were just walloped by the Amazon announcement. And uh, you're not going to be able to get the vaccine via Amazon, uh, not being tongue in cheek. There are ways to be able to apparently get it uh, if you don't go on site. Uh, but I do think that uh, the fact that CVS is down to me shows that Carl may be right about some part of the market because CVS should be up, not down. Uh, but I think people are just saying, hey, you know what? It's a it's a Walmart Christmas. Um, yeah, to that point, Jim, um, Goldman today, we keep bringing up Goldman, uh, but they do say that the delay in fiscal transfer, Senate gets back to work today, uh, and they're going to have to start thinking about stimulus again. But Goldman says the pullback in transfers will cause a decline in overall disposable income in Q4. And that, Jim, they say is going to weigh heavily on the bottom quintile of households, particularly hard, and weigh on consumer spending this winter. We know a lot of those enhanced benefits are going to expire, really, in the next couple of weeks. Yeah, look, there was some chatter. There's chatter about how uh, how many people are going to get COVID. And obviously, the numbers are going to be bad the next couple of days. Now there's chatter about, wait a second, uh, the quarantine period is down. Does that afford a chance for the government to shut down things for seven, eight days to see if we get better numbers? Now, that is not that's from the health care committee. That is uh, people I deal with. That is not, David, from from uh, President-elect Biden. But it's pretty clear that the thing not only is out of control, but I don't think you're going to want to go out. Yeah, well, listen, it's all about hospitalizations, as we've said so many times, and people point out, thankfully, the death rate is far lower. Unfortunately, the, the nominee, the, the, yeah, the, yeah, the, the, the number, right. The, right the, not the denominator, yeah, the top one. 
you can tell, not a math guy, uh, is so, so much higher that, it, that it's overwhelming hospitals in certain areas. And that's the fear, Jim. That continues to be the real concern that uh, hospitals are not in a position, by the way, to take in patients who have other life-threatening uh, conditions or injuries or anything along those lines. And that's, that's what people are afraid of. And that is why you would certainly encourage people to take every precaution they can. Yeah, look, I think that Etsy being up and Shopify being up, those are about stay-at-home shopping. Uh, obviously, these are companies that uh, buy small, so to speak. And, and I agree with you, David. I mean, I think that we're all worried about uh, the implication of the hospitals being overwhelmed, which is why it's so great that the hospitals may be getting this vaccine in the next three weeks. Who right. needs it more than anyone else other than these healthcare workers? We always like we we they have we, been we pay the them lip service. Uh, I know we do, and they have. I mean, you just think about what their life has been like for these last nine months: the first wave, the second wave, over and over again, the hours that they're working, the risk that they're putting themselves through, uh, the the emotional pain that that I mean it just uh, it's hard to imagine Carl in so many different ways what they have to be going through and so the closer we are to getting them a vaccine uh, well that is obviously only going to be a good thing yes that's that's guys uh, getting a statement from the transition uh, the transition of uh, the president-elect saying that it is official Uh, they will nominate Yellen to Treasury uh, Neera Tandon to OMB uh, Cecilia Rouse to the uh, chair of the CEA Jared Bernstein also to CEA as members Um, Jim, they're not talking about a National Economic Council director quite yet, uh, but the market, of course, had been counting on uh, Yellen, not just for her experience, for her knowledge of the international landscape, but a Rolodex that's been pretty well developed over the past 20 years. I I think it's interesting that we have basically no bomb throwers. Uh, No one is going to come in and talk about breaking up the banks. No one's going to talk in and talk about how the consumer's been ripped off by the system. But uh, again, I think it's interesting, Carl. I would have expected a little better action, uh, given what we've heard about the vaccine and given the fact that that Biden's people seem like uh, like Jared Bernstein. I mean, David, I mean, guys, come on. I mean, they they just come on. They sound like real guys. Yeah, they do. Well, Larry Kudlow also came on a lot. He's right. So I think Larry did a great job for the for the country. uh, No, I wasn't. That wasn't meant as a. uh, as in any way criticism. I was just pointing out he came out a lot and then he became, you know, Jared Bernstein. Anyhow, by the way, numerator, that's what goes over that darn thing. Larry's an optimist. He's always been an optimist. But I also think that as someone who was his partner, I mean, look, he served for a long time and he gave gave it his all. How about that? Totally. I agree. Um, All right, Jim, you've been focused. We've all been focused on Nikola. Uh, You had the CEO on last week. We got to get to this uh, this morning because it is down. You see over 20%. Good news. Hey, they have a GM deal. Bad news. Oh, they got a GM deal because <laughs> it's not the deal that they originally had. Uh, what it really is now is a non-binding memorandum of understanding for a global supply agreement. It does integrate the GM Hydrotech fuel cell system into Nikola's Class 8 truck platform. Uh, but it looks more like, and these are the words of J.P. Morgan uh, analyst, uh, a conventional arm's length cost supply contract for the Hydrotech system. Uh, forget about that Badger truck. That's not a part of this anymore. And most importantly, Jim, GM's not taking that equity stake, which would have amounted to as much as 11% of Nikola. Your thoughts on this? And we should also point out, of course, the lockup has expired. Right. Apparently, the, we have to get the full number on the lockup. I'm not sure what it is. But, David, when this deal was announced, Mary Barrow was right there alongside of, of Trevor Milton, uh, pretty excited about it. Uh, today, it looks like it's Doug Parks. You know, Doug Parks. 
is yeah. making the announcement for GM? Yeah, don't know him. You don't? No. David, he's executive vice president of global product development, purchasing, and supply chain. Okay. Thank I you. mean, I'm talking about. Right. Right? Right. Mary Barr is not a part of this. Right. Thing. And I do think, again, that uh, there were, I think there was liability here in terms of what GM was trying to accomplish. And Mary Barr, straight, straight person, the Nikola guys, I mean, I had, I had Nikola on last week, um, and, and it's just, I don't know if we have a clip, but, oh, but you know, it just, it, it was, how about ambivalence, David? Can we see the ambivalent tape? We're interested in, in GM's Hydrotech fuel cell system. It's very interesting to us. We're interested in their uh, Ultium battery system. Both of those things are interesting to us, and we continue to talk to them about those things. I, I think it was interesting. Yeah, well, the market is uh, not as interested in Nikola today as it was perhaps last week, or the, with the prospect at least of a, of a large equity right. uh, infusion well, David, as well. This is, we got very excited. Being given to this is a SPAC, David, that yeah. is not doubling. Right. What do you make of that? It's not. It's after deal. It's still up, well up from the uh, ten bucks when they uh, when it was IV acquisition or whatever it was called back. You know, Gursky SPAC. So yeah, Gursky still chairman. Uh, David, there's the in terms of things that have been wild that we don't talk about. Have you seen Palantir and how? Of course, we talked about it a lot last week. Oh, yeah. Okay. Well, never mind. That incredible move. I was busy. I was making the stuffing. The uh, yeah, but Carl, the move there has, was nothing short of amazing. Although on Friday it did reverse. It did reverse. All right. Uh, I missed missed the start. Guys, let's get to Rick Santelli this morning, ahead of uh, Chicago PMI in a few minutes. Hey, Rick. Hi, Carl. You know, a two-week chart of tenure tells you pretty much everything you need to know. We keep getting close to 90 basis points and failing to close there. If you look at a month-to-day chart, we're basically closing the month out unchanged. We entered the month at 87 basis points. We're just a basis point and a half below that right now. And if you look at an August 1st start, and this is the most telling, early August we hit the high of 96 basis points. This was after the all-time low, of course, uh, excuse me, which was early August at 0.5, a half of 1%. The high was 96 basis points in November. The reason that's important is because that now is the bogey. That is the number we need to break through if we're going to ever test 1% on a 10-year note. If we switch to foreign exchange euro versus the Chinese yuan, this is a month to date. Look at how the euro is starting to gain traction. We are starting to see other economies now compete better. And finally, uh, on the dollar side, we're at a 31-month low on the dollar index, 31-month high on the euro versus the dollar. Carl, Jim, David, back to you. All right, Rick, we'll see you in a couple of minutes for Chicago PMI. Uh, in front of that, though, we'll take a quick break. Squawk on the streets back in a moment. Let's get Chicago PMI with Rick Santelli. Rick? Yes, our November read on Chicago PMI expected to be a number near 59, comes in a bit light, 58.2. 58.2. Now, this is the lightest Chicago PMI since August when it was 51.2. Since then, we've had both numbers over 60. And last month at 61.1, of course, continues to stand unrevised. Uh, on this miss, I will point out, of course, that most of the other PMIs have been weaker, not only with regard to um, market in the U.S., but also across the international scene. Carl, Jim, David, back to you. All right, Rick, thank you very much. Our next guest is uh, firmly in the trenches when it comes to distributing en masse a new vaccine. Life Sciences Company Avantor is involved in all parts of the supply chain. And CEO Michael Stubbenfield uh, joins us this morning. Michael, welcome. Good to have you. 
Yeah, thank you for having us. Uh, good morning to you all. We're going to talk a lot about this in the next several weeks. And when I look at you know, the profile of your company, mission critical products and services uh, used by life sciences. I mean, talk about what else is involved other than developing the actual vaccine. Yeah, we uh, play a pretty prominent role here in bringing uh, this, these vaccines to market. Uh, we're going to be uh, exposed to most, if not all, of the candidates that are being developed and sponsored, uh, particularly by Operation Warp Speed. Uh, we're going to be engaged with our customers, uh, really from their early phase uh, process development and R&D, and then we're able to support them all yes. the way through that scale up clinical trials and ultimately in uh, the production of uh, any approved uh, vaccines that, that might come out of this. Yeah, it's amazing when you think about, I mean, I, we can all remember back in the spring when a vaccine was still uh, aspirational, but the thinking was, let's start building uh, the building blocks now so that if one one day gets approved, it can get out of the gate without delay. How much of that advanced planning do you think has actually paid off? I imagine it's just it's just a game changer in, in retrospect. It is. Nothing uh, of this scale has ever been uh, done, both from a, a, a time standpoint as well as um, you know, from a, just a sheer volume of, of vaccines that are going to be produced here. And, you know, we obviously got to jumpstart on this back into the second quarter when we start supplying, you know, customized materials, you know, to our customers to help them uh, in their development of the vaccines. And we've been scaling with them as they've worked through, you know, the early phases of clinical trials. And we're obviously encouraged with uh, where they're at uh, and hopefully here on the, on the doorstep of, uh, of an approval, uh, at least one, if not more. Michael, Jim Cramer, great to see you, sir. Yeah, thank you, Jim. One of the things that I've been surprised about is how prepared uh, the Army's been, uh, how prepared McKesson's been, that they seem to have done either dry runs or they were just uh, preparing all November uh, for the uh, what I regard as being this influx of both Pfizer and Moderna. Um, you've been around. Don't you think that these guys are apolitical and getting it done? Yeah, there's been an awful lot of work that's gone into this. And, you know, although it's come together pretty quickly, you know, I would say the entire ecosystem uh, of, of players from raw material providers like like us all the way through to the distribution uh, providers have been really working collaboratively uh, over the last, uh, you know, couple of quarters. Uh, I couldn't be more complimentary of General Perna and his team there at uh, Operation Warp Speed. You know, we're very closely engaged with them. And obviously, uh, you know, with the scale of, of what the military can bring to this, uh, I would say the supply chain uh, is is up for the task here. Uh, we're trying to accomplish something, obviously, that's never been done at this scale before. Uh, but the readiness, I would say, is uh, is extremely high at this point. Michael, can, there are a lot of people who were very, uh, let's say, skeptical about the idea that Pfizer could get its, uh, its vaccine out, given how cold it has to be. It seems like that has turned out to be much less of a problem in the distribution. You know, it is true that uh, it does need to be kept at rather low temperatures, but, uh, you know, I guess uh, necessity is the, is the mother of innovation, as they say. Uh, there's been a lot of creativity that have gone into helping solve, you know, some of the complexities of distributing a vaccine uh, that needs to be kept at minus ADC, uh, both in the physical infrastructure as well as just in the, the process and the handling of that. And I would say, uh, you know, whether it be, you know, uh, you know solutions around dry ice or uh, even processes that, you know, that will play out at the distribution sites themselves. Um, you know, the, I think the industry has done just a phenomenal job, uh, you know, working around uh, that particular uh, constraint. Uh, Michael, uh, judging from your comments I've heard thus far, I can tell that you, you're 
erring on the side of being cautious, it would seem. Um, but I would love you to at least give our viewers some sense as to your expectations as to when this vaccine is going to be or these vaccines are going to be available. I mean, we could get some of these emergency approvals any day now. Uh, is January a fair timeline to think that this will be available or some will be available? Yeah, I probably don't have any better information than what you see uh, being reported by the FDA and other regulatory uh, bodies. But what I can say is, uh, you know, we have been working very closely with all of the leading candidates uh, for a number of months. Um, and, you know, there are, you know, a lot of doses that have already been produced. And, you know, it's my understanding that within, you know, 24 hours of uh, an emergency authorization, uh, that vaccines will be rolling, uh, you know, into, uh, you know, states around the country uh, for, for distribution. So, and what gives you the most concern? If you have any one on a list of, uh, I would assume that there are many, but that you've already dealt with or the authorities have dealt with, what gives you the most concern here in terms of getting this thing into wide distribution as fast as possible? I mean, I think you've, you've hit on it. The, the supply chain here is, is obviously vast. The number of patients we're trying to reach is unprecedented. And the number of players in the ecosystem have to come together to make this, uh, you know, happen. You know, we're relying on our raw material suppliers to keep us, uh, you know, supplied with sufficient uh, quantities. Obviously, uh, you know, our factories are, are hard at work preparing, uh, you know, the products. And, you know, we're working very closely with our customers to, to get it delivered. But just the speed of which all this has come uh, together is, is unprecedented. And, you know, obviously we're doing it in the, in, the, in the midst of a pandemic. And so, you know, trying to keep our associates and our, our employees safe so that we can keep our factories running and uh, has been, you know, top of mind. And that's going to be critical throughout this value chain uh, that we can continue to keep the supply chain uh, fully operational as we, uh, you know, hopefully are, are nearing uh, an approval. Right. I know that's one of the things that gets... Uh, un uh, talked about not enough, uh, the fact that we're still working under these conditions. Finally, on, on modalities, you know, we're all armchair epidemiologists these days, Michael, but I wonder, uh, messenger RNA gets so much coverage right now, and we're going to be hearing more about uh, protein and, and viral vector in the coming weeks. Do you think about those different schools uh, in different ways, and if so, how? Yeah, very much so, actually. The, uh, you know, the processes, the workflows uh, behind each of the, uh, the modalities involved here, there's, there's approximately four uh, leading modalities that are being uh, developed here uh, that I think we'll all hear a lot about, as you suggest. And, you know, the raw material requirements, the technologies are all very, very different. Um, you know, I think what's been encouraging is uh, just how uh, effective that they have been. And I think we're obviously excited about the application here to, uh, you know, bringing an end to this pandemic. Uh, but it really opens up the doors for, you know, many new areas of, uh, of therapeutics and indications that we haven't been able to, uh, to get after before. And so I think we're also, you know, quite excited about what these new technologies will bring, you know, even beyond this, uh, this current pandemic. Um, I think the, the efficacy of these, uh, these novel uh, technologies like mRNA have been, uh, you know, rather surprising. Uh, you, you've seen numbers in the, in the mid-90s in terms of efficacy. Uh, and you would compare that to other vaccines that we're all familiar with, things like the flu vaccine, which, um, you know, at best is 50 to, to 60 percent effective. And so it is encouraging um, what we see here coming from these new technologies. And you yeah. know, we, we play an important role in that. Um, these novel technologies require different levels of purity, uh, new, new uh, materials altogether in order to, to bring them about. And Michael. I couldn't be more proud of uh, our scientists and our team that have uh, helped enable some of this. Yeah. Maybe we make another run at flu because of that, uh, that, that uh, innovation. Michael, thanks. Michael Stubblefield of Avantour. Look forward to talking to you in the weeks to come. We'll take a break here. Uh, we're back to 3625. Don't go away. All right, Jim. So uh, S&P tonight. 
Yeah, also I, we have Carvana. And then, Dave, we have Michael Dell. <laughs> Carl, that's, I'm a competitive guy. Okay, as I get older, I get more competitive. What can I say? Well, that's the opposite of what I get. It's, it's time to bear. <laughs> we got to go. <laughs> you think I really want to go? Hmm. There's never enough time, Jim. One of these days, you're just going to stick around for the 10 as a habit. But we'll see you tonight. Mad Money, 6 p.m. Eastern Time. A little sluggish out of the gate here is only a handful of Dow stocks are green, including Apple. We're back in a minute. You've been listening to the opening bell on CNBC's Squawk on the Street. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx.